Welcome to Dr. Warwick's podcast channel. Warwick is a practicing cardiologist and author with a passion for improving care by helping patients understand their heart health through education. Warwick believes educated patients get the best health care. Discover and understand the latest approaches and technology in heart care and how this might apply to you or someone you love. Hi, my name is Dr. Warwick Bishop, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast and video cast station. Today, I have a special guest, Sally Ann Prisk, who is an author and a founder of the book called Eating For You and the organization Eating For You, which is about transforming the mindset around healthy eating. Hi, Sally Ann. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Warwick. It's great to be here. Look, just for those people listening and for me, just explain what um, Eating For You is all about and how you alter mindsets. Yes, great question. Two questions, really. (laughs) Yeah, so Eating For You is really about, as the title suggests, finding a way of eating for you that is healthy, nourishing and enjoyable. Uh, So it's taking all of our food knowledge and experiences of eating and turning it into food choices that last. Um, that's the summary. So the, the things that you see as, well, the average population, the people who you're dealing with, what are the hurdles that these people confront? Uh, when you say healthy choices, are they lacking education? Are they driven to the wrong foods because of maybe a sweet tooth or something like that? What are the main things that... Uh, you work with in that space? Yeah, most of the ladies that I work with uh, where I have a very good understanding of healthy eating, there might be some tweaking there because of all of the diets that they have done over the years and decades. Um, But no, knowledge is not normally uh, the issue. It's not the stumbling block. It's more education around um, how our thoughts and beliefs about food and ourselves Uh, standing in our way to actually making choices that last. And I never say creating a new habit. It's always a new choice. Uh, The eating for you approach is very much based on the practice of mindfulness. So it's about uh, if any habits are formed, it's about the habit of being mindful. And tell me, how did did you get to um, be in this space? What was your journey, Sally-Anne? Yeah, look, I'll I'll try and be as concise as possible because uh, I've lived for a few decades myself now and uh, I think the journey continues uh, as a healthcare practitioner and as an individual understanding uh, what health and well-being and happiness means to to us. Um, But the main turning point for me was I had been a dietitian uh, for a few years and then my brother died suddenly of a heart attack and I developed a comfort eating habit myself. And through talking to a colleague, also a dietitian, I realized I'd actually been a restrained eater up until that stage. And I was sort of being shown, you know, the extreme ends of what we think healthy eating can be. You know, it's like being restrained because of the dieting culture that I'd grown up with, even though at this stage I'd had, you know, four years of university education and was embarking on my master's research. 
I had all the knowledge but didn't even realise myself that I wasn't eating in a way that was really nourishing and sustaining for me. And, of course, developing the comfort eating habit to cope with the grief of my, you know, brother's sudden death, uh, I was seeing what it was like to be on the other end uh, of of eating as well. So, yeah, huge, huge moment for me, uh, obviously personally, uh, but with my career as a dietitian and healthcare practitioner. So, look, first of all, I'm terribly sorry to hear of the loss of your uh, brother, presumably at a young age, because obviously you're young and he would have been not far off in the same age. That's terrible. Um, as you know, my own interest is trying to stop events like this. So uh, we might even talk about this um, when we finish the podcast, because I would genuinely like to make sure that others in your family, including yourself, are not at, at risk and unaware of that. Yes. Look, the one of the things that's really interesting about this concept of comfort eating is what are the mechanisms behind that? So obviously there's uh, textural flavour flavors and things that people feel in their mouth then there must be satiety type uh, receptors within the gut then there must be a whole sequence of nerve responses that go through the brain and I'm sure you're completely across all of that why don't you deconstruct some of that just for the people listening and for me yeah look I I think without going into you know the deep physiological and neurophysiological responses to eating It's even more simpler than that. At some stage in our life, we have associated a type of food with being comforted. And, you know, in my own experience, um, I realised that, you know, if I ever hurt myself, you know, and I was a pretty active kid, so I was always falling over, um, I would be given a sweet treat. So it was through nobody's fault at all, definitely not my mum's, but that association was already built that if I didn't feel well, if I felt sad, unhappy, I could have something sweet to eat. And it was set, you know, before the age of 10, um, that was there. So it wasn't actually, as I said, revealed to me again as an adult until, you know, my brother died. And and this can be the case for, for many of the ladies that I work with is that they're not aware of these strong, you know, emotional, neurophysiological, physical, you know, you know, responses we have for food because they happen, these habits were formed, you know, when we were a child. Um, and so that's why I say that, you know, having food knowledge is, is often not enough. You know, there's, there's this other relationship with food that we have. The, as you're talking about that, association I'm almost thinking that's a conditioning response like the Pavlovian sort of response where a situation arises there's an action and we get uh, linked to that action Uh, Pavlov's dogs I'm sure everyone's heard of um, ring a bell and they salivate because the bell and food have been linked and I guess where we're in often in situations we're actually living that ourselves. That's what you're really talking about, where we've had events, our comfort has been food and and we we match those, we associate and condition on those. That's sort of what you're talking about. Oh, definitely. And um, anyone who has uh, done first-year psychology, which I I did at university, um, 
you know, until you get into your career, you don't see these practical examples of Pavlov's dog. You know, it's just like a very much a theoretical learning experience at university. But yeah, I've seen it in so many ways um, in my career as a healthcare practitioner, but also, as I said, personally. Um, and what I think is great about this, Warwick, is that yeah, we're still making that choice, but we realise that it's not just about I can't stick to a diet. You know, there's a few more steps in between um, that we need to take to actually make those lasting uh, healthier food choices, um, which I think is reassuring because a lot of people, you know, males and females that I speak to um, feel like there's something wrong with them because they haven't been able to stick to their heart plan, their diabetes plan, their weight loss plan. Um, but it's understanding we need to do something to stop that habit, that automatic reaction um, that we have when we're triggered to eat for comfort, stress, emotional um, release. Mm. So as I'm listening again, I'm wondering if that those habits are actually inherited through uh, actions rather than genetically, but through actions. You mm. see your parents uh, take maybe alcohol as a comfort uh, mm. at the end of the day, food becomes a comfort, and that may actually, there may be uh, transmission of that through generations, through behaviour, I'm guessing. Is that what you see? Oh, definitely. And um, I'm so glad you raised that because uh, talking uh, with a friend of mine who's a psychotherapist, a consult psychotherapist, and she said very much because I explained uh, a couple of my own experiences um, with reactions to grief and trauma uh, that were quite opposite. You know, I mentioned uh, the one uh, of overeating and I was actually living with a family at the moment where the, the mum had a comfort eating habit. So I had, you know, in those years adopted that. Whereas earlier on um, with my biological mum, uh, we'd had a family incident and uh, we all lost our appetite because that was mum's response to stress. So you're very, very true. You know, what we grow up with, who we're with uh, on a, a highly subconscious level uh, is impacting on how we're reacting uh, to situations and, and food. So it's so insightful just to understand it's not just our immediate family, uh, it's all those experiences that happen uh, through our life that could be influencing how we're eating. Yeah, wow, that's uh, fascinating. The uh, One of the things that struck me from doing a bit of background research on um, eating for you is that you seem to focus predominantly on women. Um, I'm not sure if you see men as well, but is your practice predominantly and was your book written predominantly for women or do you see both men and women? Just give us some comments around that. Yes, certainly. Um, the book was definitely uh, written for everyone. Um, and as I got uh, progressing with my work, uh, like a lot of healthcare practitioners, I had to make some choices about who I was going to predominantly work with. So you're right, I do uh, predominantly work with women, um, but it's not as if uh, the approach isn't helpful to men. You know, men buy the book, um, men will contact me and, and obviously I will, will talk with them as well. Uh, but predominantly women, um, and that's why, why, because I do a lot of group coaching work now, uh, we find that a lot of the lifestyle uh, experiences and also biological experiences that women face uh, through childbirth and raising children and so forth. And they're often key 
markers for those ladies in terms of health changes, weight changes, menopause, and so forth. So that's why I have gravitated most recently to working with women. It's an interesting space, isn't it? Do you find that um, alcohol or cigarettes and the use of alcohol and cigarettes ties in with uh, people having an, a, a somewhat dysfunctional mindset around eating as well? Are they sort of the crutches that do yeah. they come in in clusters, I guess I'm asking? Yeah, um, yeah, quite different. Um, some of the ladies uh, that I work with certainly have realised that they've formed a habit that getting home from work, um, have a glass of wine as a form of their relaxation uh, routine for the evening. Um, and it's just, again, with any of these habits, it's that awareness. Um, and when we look at the process of mindfulness in a really practical sense the first thing we need is awareness of what our habits are and to be able to look at them in a very non-judgmental way and say okay that's interesting I get home from work I have a glass of wine um, is that actually working for me yes or no and then what do I do next um, so in terms of mindfulness mindful eating is a really practical way uh, to not only observe our habits but to work out whether they're the best choices for us now and what we can do to actually change our drinking or food choices. Do you incorporate um, meditation or self-hypnosis in your program or forms yeah. of that to help support your your clients? Yeah, certainly I do encourage um, a daily uh, mindfulness or meditation practice um, as part of the process because it just allows the ladies uh, on two levels. One is to start the day in an, a centred, calm way uh, to experience what it is just to focus on one thing rather than the myriad of tasks that they're trying to accomplish in the day. And uh, secondly, it is to just focus on um, what being mindful really is and taking it from that formal sitting mindfulness practice where they may focus on the breath, for example, to then taking it to their food choices as well. So it's like a training ground, I say, to let's put this into practice because I know myself as a daily meditator, there have been occasions where I've literally stepped off the mat and thought, Oh, you know, uh, I've lost it already, you know, um, but that's part of it. And, and I speak to other mindfulness teachers and it's not about staying calm. So if you're listening to this thinking, oh, I know what Sally Ann's talking about, you know, I, it's, you know, how is it that my 10 minute, 20 minute, one hour practice doesn't keep me calm all day? That's not actually the intention of the practice. The intention is to allow us to be more aware of where our mind is at the time and to recenter, to uh, refocus and, and calm ourselves as quickly as possible. So it's teaching us to uh, not get away uh, so far away from centre and then uh, to get back to centre uh, as quickly as possible and calmly as possible. And I guess in that space of um, eating choices, it allows people to have some awareness of how am I feeling in this moment when I want to indulge in, you know, a, a donut? How am I, what how am I feeling? Is this the feeling that I want to mm. be um, 
running me at the moment or do I want to choose a different feeling and a different therefore different outcomes that, that's sort of what we're talking about isn't it yeah yeah and I think from, from what the research shows this work that the the biggest benefit of taking mindfulness into you know behavior change changing eating habits into any habit that we have that we want to change is that mindfulness allows us to create space to have a pause before we go into autopilot into Pavlov's dogs type situation we were talking about earlier so it creates that break before we actually make the choice and it's like a circuit breaker you know Mm. for that habit Mm. and um you know, what, what I hear from my ladies transitioning through this process when they've got a habit is that, that the first step is that pause, as you said, and that internal questioning about, well, is it the donut that I need now or is it something else? If I eat the donut, how am I going to feel physically, emotionally, mentally? Uh, what's my energy level going to be? Is that really what I'm going to to get to but they're kind of like a a stage of progression with transforming eating habits the first one is taking that pause thinking about whether it's food or not that I need right now if I make this choice how is it going to make me feel you know so that's really in simple terms the three steps look I, I I the way I'm hearing it and um imagining it is that we have reflexes which we've learned which we're a bit unconscious to. I want a donut because I'm upset. We don't really uh, process that because it's a reflex. If we put our hand on something hot, we would pull our hand away immediately. And I get the sense that this mindfulness allows us that pause or break, that space for a choice. So we go from a reflex to an opportunity for choice. And uh, I, 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 I get that. I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Oh, and it is. And it's so empowering um, to the women that I work with um, to realise it's not about willpower. You know, it's, it is actually something else that's going on. Um, and the other powerful thing about mindfulness is that when we're aware of our choices, we can see the choices that we're making that support our health goals, as well as those that are still not quite working for us because this is what I have found working uh, with ladies is that very good at identifying all the food choices that are bad or are not working for them, but not so good at acknowledging the choices that they're making that are really positive for themselves. And, uh, you know, as you'd be aware, you know, our motivation comes from recognising that what we're doing is working, that we are capable of making choice uh, that progresses towards our health goals. Yeah. Look, Sally-Anne, I'm going to be a little bit mindful around time. So I'm going to start to wrap up. What I'd love you to uh, share is uh, how people might find out a bit more about uh, eating for you, your program and your book. Yes, thank you. Um, The first thing I would suggest is taking a look at the um, Eating For You Triggers Checklist for Emotional Eating, and that can be found at checklist, sorry, eatingchecklist.com. And the other resources are available from the Eating For You website, eatingforyouinfowords.com.au. 
Celian, that's fantastic. Look, thank you so much for sharing. Again, I really appreciate you taking uh, the time. So uh, for those listening, thank you very much, Celian. Thanks, Warwick. It's been my pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm always encouraging people to enjoy their food and eat mindfully. So uh, we'll wrap that up now. For those listening, I'm sure you've learned some information which is incredibly valuable about how we choose our food. Um, again, I'd like to thank Sally Ann for joining us. Uh, if you have any queries or questions, drop us a note. And if you've got any ideas for future podcasts, let us know at info at drwarwickbishop.com. Again, thank you so much for joining us and wishing you live as well as possible for as long as possible. Take care and bye for now. You have been listening to another podcast from Dr. Warwick. Visit his website at drwarwickbishop.com for the latest news on heart disease. If you love this podcast, feel free to leave us a review.